Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bienvenidos, señoras y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by BenOnline.ag. BenOnline is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. BenOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs, from basketball, MLB, NHL, hockey, golf, to UFC and boxing. It's the fastest and easiest way to get into your betting info including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. So get into the action today, head over to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code believe B L E A V to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And joining us on the Kanye Asada, making a return visit, is uh, not only a broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers, but he's also the star of the major motion picture for the love of the game. Uh, he's <laughs> one of our favorite people, Jose Mota. Jose, ¿cómo estás, amigo? Juan, mi amigo, ¿cómo estás? Thanks for having me back. I, uh, we finally made it work again, and uh, I'm truly happy because I was. you guys were the first uh podcast that i did actually when i joined the dodgers so you know what gracias man we'll forever remember that and, and this is why we wanted to have you on the show jose because so we gave you a shirt and it's a the shirt is available on our website we call it our legends of latino ba uh, dodger baseball and when we were coming up with that shirt we were like what are who are the most important latinos in in dodger history so we're like we have to put harin in there Right, because Harin goes claro, back. Claro. Right, El and padrino. we knew exactly. And we knew Valenzuela yeah. had to be on there, right? And yeah. so we're sitting there going, "Well, you know, do we put Julio on there?" And then we're just like, "Wait a minute, man! Manny Moda has to be on there." And Not and too. I say this because there was a friend, uh, one of our listeners, actually said to me, "He was like, you know what?" When we were growing up, before Valenzuela came, we just had Bobby Castillo and we had Manny Bobby Moda. That, that's it. That's who we had to look up to. And I think we, we lose track of how important it is, when, especially when you're younger, to see people on the field that look like you. And yeah, so right. your, father, your father got inducted into the Legends of Dodger Baseball this year. For me, uh, it's a recognition long overdue. We, we want to talk to you about that because I still feel, even though they put him in the Legends of Dodger Baseball, that your father doesn't get the credit he deserves, not only for his contributions to the Dodgers organization, but to his contributions to baseball in general. Well, I'll tell you what, I am never going to complain about my dad and the way he's been treated here or the way the fans like you have accepted him and embraced him since he got here in the 1969 and we are truly blessed i'm telling you the entire family not just my dad because we are just um residuals and beneficiaries of everything that you guys as fans and the dodgers have done for my dad so my dad is still employed by the dodgers the dodgers love him they respect him they in, in, encourage him to be and participate they invite him uh, pretty much at his own pace on what he wants to do in terms of community he wants to do a lot, obviously, always uh, for kids and uh, for any of the fans that know and appreciate him. But we appreciate everything that's happened here with the Dodgers. Uh, uh, being now a legend of Dodger baseball means the world to us and more to him. Because obviously, as you mentioned, you know, his imprint goes back to the early 70s. You know, Fernando revolutionized everything, right? Fernando's yeah. like, okay, we are for real, right? But I go back to my dad in 1970s when guys like Henry Cruz, Orlando Alvarez. I mean, you go look at these guys that were Dodger prospects. You go back to Pedro Guerrero. You go back to Mariano Duncan. I mean, all these guys that looked up to my dad as, as, a, as, as a veteran player when they were in the Dodger um, clubhouse. And as they were in AAA, my dad as a player still felt like he was a coach to them, like a father to them. Ivan de Jesus was a one time one of those guys that we would pick up on the way to the ballpark. So uh, I, I'm glad you say that, but I'll tell you what, we will never, ever – 
uh, feel shortened by any way in which the Dodgers, the city, everybody in the communities here around my, and around LA have treated my dad and the entire family. You know, I, it's great to hear you say this honor for us because when your dad, he gave a great speech, by the way, uh, that when he was inducted, but it really, and maybe, I mean, you tell me, it seems like with your father, it, it's about the family. It wasn't about him. He's the one getting inducted, but it's like all of us are coming into the legends of Dodger baseball. Yes, and we're happy for him because we know the work that he's put in through the years, the work on the field as a player, the work off the field as a community representative, the work as a teammate, as a coach, as a broadcaster, everything that he's done has always been done with the family in mind. And him being inducted and to see him up there and to see that plaque, uh, to see his smile and his uh, relief in a way to, cause he kept saying like, man, you know, if something happens, uh, well, they're going to honor, honor me, please do it when, when I'm alive, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jokingly. But uh, I can sense that he feels gratitude, appreciation, love, and everything that comes with being a Dodger legend. I'm like some big, big time players. But I, I would say that, you know, you go back to the days with Jaime Arrin with my dad, actually back in the 70s, he started contributing with Jaime and with Rene Cardenas and Rudy Hoyos in the Spanish broadcast as a player. He would go out there and interview players for Jaime to have on the broadcast and pre-games and post-games. And that just bled into who he is, what he wanted to do, the vision he's always had for baseball. It goes beyond baseball. But we feel like that night, it kind of all this culmination of so many wonderful things, moments. I mean, the moments where we were down on 105 and just nervous as heck and biting our nails, you know, and just everybody's looking at us and games on the line. And here's dad, calm and composed, relaxed with something in mind. It was something he thought about hours ago. So the preparation we as kids saw, I mean, we got here with my dad in the summertime at two thirty, three o'clock. And back then the games were not at seven o'clock. It was seven thirty, sometimes even eight o'clock. But he was here at first. He didn't want to take any space away from the regular players that were getting ready, you know, in the training room and being assisted over the coaches. But man, that night to see the entire family takes me back to all those moments when we spent here on the field, uh, the times when he instructed us as players, as sons, and introduced us to all just marvelous and a plethora of great players to learn from which is my school, even in broadcasting, growing up in, with Jaime and, and Vince Kelly. And when visiting broadcasters like Jack Buck came by and Harry Carey, I was there, I was a kid, and, because I always kind of had a little itch for like, what is the broadcasting, broadcasting like? And then the opposing players that came, my dad always wanted my brother Andy and I especially, and then Domingo and Gary, to be a part of recognizing legends. When Pete Rose came by, and Tom Seaver came by, and Willie Mays came by, and Bobby Bounds came by, and Willie McCovey and Willie Stargell. We needed to go see these players and meet these players. And my dad will tell us a little story about them so we knew who we were meeting. So well, th that night here on the field and being the MC, I'll tell you what, man, I had to just keep it together <laughs> as much as I could. It was very emotional for me. The days leading to it, I was just, Lord, just allow me to, hold it together because seeing my mom here was even more special. You know, she doesn't get out of the house very often anymore, but I knew that once we started, I became a broadcaster, right? You separate one thing from the other. And it was a blast to go out there and be an MC for that. And on top of that, I was like, dad, I just want you to know that I'm not going to get in your way. It's your night. I'm just a conduit because it really is about you and what you bring to the fans that night because you brought it pretty much throughout a lifetime. Oh, yes. It's pretty interesting because, you know, when I'm at the stadium, I see uh, Freddie Freeman and his boy out on the field and his boy just loves it. And yeah. hearing you like you had those similar experiences. And now here you are in the broadcast booth. Which memories stay with you longer? Those as a kid coming to the ballpark with your father or your actual playing days? Oh, as a Dodger, Dodger Stadium is even where I met my wife, married for 35 years with my wife, and I met her here. I mean, the, the memories here are just endless. They, I just keep remembering one thing. Then it's like, oh, how about that other moment? And how about that other moment? I mean, we have moments with Dusty Baker and Ron Say and Steve Garvey and Dunn Sutton and Steve Howe and Pedro Guerrero, Mariano. I mean, 
for years and years and years. So those moments here are more special to me because that's pretty much our formation, our foundation, who we became. Because we spent the school year in the Dominican. And to this day, I said, I will never trade my academic bringing that I had to Dominican because it was pretty much as solid as they come. But we spend the summers here. So Dodger Stadium was the backyard. It was like the Dodgers are home. We knew we were going to get in the car at 2, 2.30, get to the ballpark, play catch, hang out with my brothers, hang out with, you know, Darren Sutton and Gene Hooten and uh, Reggie Smith Jr. and Daryl Thomas Jr., Ryan Lefebvre, and just a whole bunch of good friends. And, in fact, a lot of us became broadcasters. Ryan Lefebvre's case and Darren Sutton, we all became broadcasters. I think it's part of, part of it is the fact that we knew that after we finished working out, we're going to the – they used to call it the, uh, not the meal room. It wasn't that, that extensive back then. It was like peanut butter and cookies and, you know, stuff like that <laughs> and sodas. Uh, so we come up to the stands. Our, our dads will give us $1.50. We buy our hot dog, our fries, our Coke. Maybe if you found like a quarter here or there, you might get a malt. Remember the malts? Yeah, uh, yeah. Malts? The, yeah, or the carnage, the chocolate peanut, with the yeah. wooden spoon, with the wooden spoon. Uh, exactly. So we would watch infield outfield, which is just terrific to watch these superb athletes take infield and outfield. And we were always impressed with the guys throwing from the outfield. And then on top of that, okay, so we watched that. Usually our mom showed up in the first, second, third inning. And by that time, um, we would be, okay, since spend like, you know, a couple of innings with my mom. And then we had upstairs up here to the booths because Jaime and, and Vinny would just welcome us and put headsets on us. And that pretty much led to all the love that we have for broadcasting and how to interpret the game and how to respect the game. Because the one thing my, my parents, my dad always said, the game is not easy. You guys will find out. I will never push you to be ball players, which he never did. He'd say, hey, if you like baseball, I'm here for you. But I, he was not one of those parents that were intrusive, like, you got to do this. No, no. Now, he pushed us if we decided we we're going to play. Like, you got to take this seriously and work out and, and develop your, your skills. But – it's just a plethora of things that I can go to and say, this is why I am here and why God led me here because it's all pretty much part of uh, how things started here with the Dodgers. You know, I, I it's so great to hear that story about your dad helping with the broadcasting and interviewing the players because we just had Victor Gonzalez on the show. And I and I asked Victor, I, like, Victor <laughs> I, I, I said, Victor, we never hear from you. And so Victor doesn't speak English. And he says to me, he goes, es que me pongo nervioso. And I was like, of course you do, because you don't speak the language. You have to depend on a translator. You don't know what the tra if the translator is translating accurately. But because right. you get to speak the language, you can go out there and talk to these players. So I can just imagine your father probably helped all those players down there feel comfortable and be like, hey, you can trust me because I think it's important to get to know these players, especially in the community. Especially in the communities. I'm going to take you back to East Los Angeles, okay? Atlantic Boulevard, Camino Real Chevrolet. I mean, my dad had a relationship with Mr. Hernandez, still does with the family for years and years and years. And why do I go there? Because it was pretty much the players that arrived and needed a car, my dad knew exactly where to take him. And now, it didn't matter if we were Latinos or not, but my dad served pretty much as the interpreter, the introducer to the community to say, hey, you know what? They're asking for an autograph. They're asking to do as parents. You need to do it. So he was like a, like a conduit to all this that goes on beyond playing baseball. So people get to know you a little bit more. And in terms of the language, my dad always encouraged Latin players, listen, we all love our country. We love our languages, but we need to learn their language because it is their game. And we are here in their country making a living and supporting our family. So for some guys, it comes a little easier than others. Now, my dad always encouraged us, even as kids, to take – we had to take lessons, English lessons, in the Dominican. Because <laughs> my mom and dad had a vision for us, like, if you guys are going to go study in the U.S. and be students over there and, and have a life in the U.S., let's start now. So they gave us that foundation, too, that education matters, man. And education is something that I heard throughout my entire life. And getting back to – you know, East Los Angeles, those are the things that led to players coming to my dad and saying, you're more than just a teammate. You're a guy that can help us out and also be an advisor in marriage and, you know, 
dealing with the media and dealing with my workout and dealing with things on the road. All those things became important, but uh, it takes me back because I know bleed lows in East Los Angeles are so important. <laughs> and I, I, I always think about how many players, even, you know, even during the strike of 1981, I remember that my dad's like, hey, well, there were a couple of players. I'm not going to mention their name, but they're like, Manny, uh, the checks are not coming anymore. He's like, hey, I'm going to take you somewhere. Took him to the dealership. And Mr. Hernandez gave these two big league players jobs so they could pay their bills. I, 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 I think I know who you're talking about, but I just want to segue because we recently had Dave Stewart on the show and he uh -huh. spoke glowingly about your father. And he had told us about like, he, I get your father had the nickname of Papa, right? Like Papa, everybody, yeah, Papa, yeah. they, and so he was telling us about how, when he played in Lycee, how he, yes. he stayed with, with Manny. And so, yeah. How many how many major leaguers did you have sitting in your staying with you in your house? How many times did oh you have to God. sleep on the couch because there was a a major <laughs> leaguer staying with you guys? Oh, let me tell you, it was often because if my dad felt that any of these American players that played in Dominican need a little help or was getting a little antsy to maybe to go home and you know getting homesick, it was two things: my mom cooking a meal to make them feel right <laughs> at home. Especially the, the, the barbecue um, ribs my mom made. Oh, my God. Lasorda would die for these barbecue <laughs> ribs. But I saw so many players come through my house, and we throw big parties. Sometimes, like, you know, like Thanksgiving itself mm. is not really a, a Dominican thing. We know that. It's an American thing, right? But right. It's, it's kind of filtered out world, you know, globally, commercially. Obviously, it plays a big part of this whole thing. But my dad knew that Thanksgiving was important for these players. So we always had a party for Thanksgiving in my house in the Dominican for the player from Licey or Escojito when he managed Escojito to just they have something to come to. So then these players got to know us. That when they saw us in the U.S., it was like, hey, I know you're a little motor, this and that. And it just became just part of the family. They all became part of the family. As they progressed and became, you know, multimillionaires and star players and went to other places they never forgot about papa man and it was so good to see when players arrived here in la um they look for papa no matter where he was you know and i think there's no greater example than the video the tribute video that they played the night he got inducted i mean you had pedro martinez on there you had albert pujos i mean these are guys you know i think i thought it was just so great to see that they don't forget what your father did for them and you hear them sure. talk about your dad. It's, 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 it's amazing. Especially, it means a lot to him. It means a lot to us that those players do recognize that they were not alone doing this. And it doesn't matter what kind of stature they have reached. These are humble people. And my dad was always about being humble. And he's always about, hey, that last autograph, that maybe you're tired and want to go home, sign that because you never know what a difference that's going to make in a family and a kid and a young girl and a young son and a grandma and a grandpa. Go out there and sign it. And you'll you'll know that at one point that person you don't know who's going to be who he's going to be turn turn out to be in the future, is going to appreciate that. And I have plenty of examples of that, like baseball writers, actors that still communicate with me via social media. Even though I'm not on social media a whole lot, but they're like Jose, your dad signed an for me when I was nine years old, and, and I was the last kid waiting there, and those things like that. You know what? I'll never forget, and I always like to share that because. For modern players, where there's so much demand nowadays for their time or their efforts or focus, that last autograph means a whole lot. And I think we should never forget about when somebody wants your autograph, that means you're doing something, right? And the saddest day is when they don't want it because that means that you're done. So uh, someone once described that your father is both Dominican and he's from Los Angeles. I, I, I mean, to hear you say, you know, that he was telling the players, hey, you got to learn English. I mean, is it possible? Can you embrace, can you be both Dominican at the same time also an Angelino? Heck yeah, man. Come on. There's something unique about being a Dominican. There's something unique about being an Angelino. I mean, you know, the language that you talk, hey, get on the 10, then get on the 605, and then the 210. <laughs> I mean, who talks like that? Only in LA, right? <laughs> We get to Alameda, you're going to see this corner and then and that tower make a, I mean, that's how like Sunset Boulevard and 
I mean, the Hollywood sign, and that's Angelino, man. The tacos and the carnitas and the burritos. And then you want a steak? Okay, great. You want Italian? Yeah, you want <laughs> anything you want. L.A. is L.A., man. I played many years away from California in the minor leagues, and my wife and I would be like, you know what? It'd be, if we move to this place in the Midwest, we're going to buy like a big house and have a lot of land and this and that. And, and then we come home for the offseason. It's like, why would we ever leave L.A.? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but Dominican, yeah, my dad, usually, um, not so much now, but after the season ended, he get a container ready, a container with goods that were donated, bought, and he would send that container to the Dominican. Not for himself. Like It's not like big TVs or – no, no. For the people, rice, beans, clothing, bedding, wheelchairs, mattresses. Anything you can get his hands on. Donated school furniture, school uniforms, baseball uniforms. The Dodgers were always very generous, still are, in donating stuff. So that was like his plan. Season, get the container home, then go to Dominican. He spent the whole winter in the Dominican um, until now when he doesn't, as I said before. But that was his life, man. Once he arrived in the Dominican, you would not believe the way he lived in my mom. It was not about the five-star hotels anymore or the fancy car rides. It was about them connecting with the people and, and being down on the ground and helping people out. You know, somebody that perhaps had a roof that came and collapsed. Uh, they wanted to be there, and they did it for so many years. Somebody that needed a meal. Some kids that needed breakfast. They all they, they went out there and, and planted that and, and sent a message in the community that when we are here, we are here. We're not just like, oh, hands off. Don't come near me. I have security guards. No, no, no. My dad is hands on. My mom the same way. She comes from a very humble um, beginning herself and background and from a very small town of Dominican. So when you're Dominican, man, it was all there. We speak like Dominicans <laughs> when we get there. So people understand us. But uh, at the same time, when we're in L.A., L.A. is L.A. You know, it's it's so interesting to me because I, I'm so glad that the Dodgers have something like the legends of Dodger baseball because I, I'm a sucker for history. I love history. And so when we have people like your father, you think about – like his favorite player was Jackie Robinson. And then you think about like the connections that he has. And this is how you keep these people's memories alive is by talking. And you realize, hey, Manny Mota played with Roberto Clemente. Remember Roberto oh, yes. Clemente, oh. you, you know, and, and stuff like that. So when you, to, to be able to have an opportunity like that and the struggles that your father, this is something that I don't think is talked about enough. And I'm, sh I wonder if your father ever shared these stories with you or if he protected you from it when he was in the minors and dealing with segregation there. I mean, African-Americans already had to deal with that, but your father was an Afro Latino having to deal with that. And I'm sure there, maybe there were some Afro Latinos who didn't speak English and look, there's racism everywhere, right? But it's like, how, on top of trying to make Major League Baseball, how do you survive that? Mentally strong, man. And also the will to know that this is what you have. If you want a better life, this is your only choice. Go out there and deal with it and know that your faith in God is going to get you through a lot of these barriers. But my dad did really tell the stories to me and my brother Andy, especially as we were the older ones, and to my sister Cecilia about what he went through because he wanted us to know that we actually had it quite easy, truly. And the truth, dealing with not being able to eat at a restaurant with his teammates, the double whammy being Latino and black, right? And being pointed out sometimes even by authorities, the police who go, hey, keep an eye on those black kids that are getting off that bus, uh, not being able to stay in the same hotels as his teammates, not being able to share like a team meal because they were segregated. Uh, being, you know, dealing with threats. If you step on this street again, if you come by here again, if you come to this store again, you never know what's going to happen. And I always thought about this. You imagine, like, say, an Albert Pujols, a Pedro Martinez, uh, a David Ortiz being told, oh, you can't go to a cheesecake factory. Guess what? You imagine that? Well, that's what it was like for them. And they struggle to get good meals, but they never complain about it. And that's the one thing. Racism is everywhere and it does exist. We all have a little bit of it, truly, honestly, right? 
But you don't carry that badge on your forehead saying, oh, somebody's conspiring against me because I'm Latino. Guess what, man? Get over it and understand that you got to deal with it in the more respectful and human way to know that it's there. But don't get caught up in that so much that you stop your progress. I know there's advocates for that. I know that. But at some point, I've had to deal with it in the broadcast world. Hey, I'm dark and Latino. Guess what? Somebody just said, you just keep going. Then when you speak, just with your voice, with intonation, make sure that you relate to everybody. And that's what, thankfully, I've been able to do, thank God. But you have to understand that. I mean, we see it in our, in our countries. When Americano shows up, there, there's a gringo right there. Guess what that is? Hmm. Same thing. So we got to deal with it in a way in which also we can pass it on to our kids saying, daughter, son, you may deal with these barriers, but at the same time, don't get caught up in that. And the people that want to drag you in that direction to pull you back are people that want to, don't want to see your progress. They want to see you get stuck. Get beyond that, deal with it, and pray to God to give you the faith and to put the right people around you to allow you to get over it. And when you deal with it, you know, as we say, pray for it because it's more important to respond that way and to be silenced and not respond to everything that's going to bother you. But certainly for my dad and Clemente and I mean, all these guys that went through that, uh, it's remarkable that they made it that far. Juan Marichal and, and the Alou brothers, Felipe and, and Mateo. My daddy was one of those best friends too and Jesus. But um, I truly ask myself sometimes, like, how would I have handled that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because uh, it, it took a lot. But I think mainly my dad was also very focused on my grandma, Mama Flor, uh, Fredas Binda. Uh, who he knew was watching how he behaved, who pretty much on her own raised eight kids, and pretty much he did not want to let her down, ever, on anything that he did. And he knew that if anything came back to her, even as an adult, that he was not treating people right, or that he was being being dealt with the wrong way and he responded the wrong way, he did not want Mama Flor to be mad at him. You know, I appreciate you sharing that story because I think it's a, it's a tribute to your father um, because everything that he went through, I think it could be very easy for him to have been a bitter man and be angry, right, to be treated that way. And to hear you say, and everybody that's talked to us about your father, it's the exact opposite. It is a selfless man who gives you whatever. If you need something, we'll, we'll give it to you. And it's inspiring to know that, yeah, there is hate out there, but you can turn that hate into something else. And so I always wonder, you, you mentioned that they used to refer to you as little, little Mota. I mean, <laughs> what, what has that been for you to deal with the Mota name? I, I, has it been extra pressure for you? Not at all. Uh, I think we grew up in a home that was very grounded to know that the Mota name meant something because my dad did it, not because we did anything. Um, we also know there's privilege, and we grew up in a very decent home. But with those privileges, it wasn't like luxury all the time. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, we got to travel. It was a luxury. We got to, my dad had to have nice cars, which, you know, it's not like he bought six or seven cars to flash them, no. But there's times in my house when, you know what, there's no electricity. There's no running water. We dealt with that. So that's pretty much been the, the grounding effect that we've always had. And my dad had every resource to fix that. But sometimes he's like, nope, they got to go through it and learn from it mm -hmm. and get past it and understand that this is part of life. Adversity is part of life. You got to get through adversity to have success, right? But, Absolutely. Um, you, you, you come to understand that the importance that he put on just being yourself and trusting and know that there's a lot of noise all around you. I mean, in 2023, it was different than back in 1969, but there was a lot of noise. The things that wanted to pull you the wrong direction is always like, stay focused, know who you are, but also honor God with your actions, with your words, and the way you treat other people. Be humble, be generous. Um, I, I want to be respectful of your time. So I just want to leave you with this. I got to ask you a Dodgers question. You're there with the team. You know, it seems like this team has some flaws and they have some holes, but then you look and they have the best record in the national league. And you're thinking, wow, if they fix these flaws in their holes, 
how much better are they going to be? And I got to tell you, Jose, this was not something I expected going into the season. I thought the show pods were just going to run the, the show. Can the Dodgers survive this stretch with the injuries to their starting rotation and the inconsistencies with some of their, their pitching? I, can they survive this? They will because look how far they made it already. I mean, think about where people were upset about in the offseason. Oh, my God, Trey Turner's gone. Oh, my God, Justin Turner's gone. Oh, my God, who else has gone? And they find a way because the foundation is here. I mean, these players that are here believe and know that you play with what you have today. Don't worry about tomorrow's game. Play about today. And if you perform well today against another big league team, no matter what the record is, you got to check yourself and say, okay, did I do my best? Did I prepare the best? The Dodgers are going to be fine. The Dodgers throughout history have found a way to dig into resources via trade, via the minor leagues, via the waiver wires, because they do such a great job in this front office and have done it for years and generations, identifying the number one thing, pitching. Pitching is numero uno. It doesn't matter where you are, in what planet. You have pitching. You have an availability of pitching somewhere in depth. You're going to go out there and get it done. The offense, I don't worry about. I only worry about the offense just in terms of when they face good pitching, are they able to have the productive outs and move the ball around and have the base running going on, right? But these guys slug. They play with fun. They know exactly what it needs to do. They pressure guys on the other side. But uh, I see the Dodgers perhaps even – I was saying this day by say the other day. There's a time in which maybe you haven't reached to a point or to a level or to a resource that you've gone before, and now you got to do it. And you got to be creative and find a way because obviously in the trading deadline, people are going to ask for who? Bobby Miller? Diego yeah. Cartaya, right? Yeah. You have in stone. Well, you have other good players that you can trade. And at the same time, I the Dodgers have always been good at identifying that one guy that sometimes other teams are not looking at. Last mm-hmm. season, who talked about Chris Martin? Right. The reliever, right? He was outstanding, and he made everybody around that bullpen better. And those are the things that they've done throughout the year that I trust again that when the time comes, and hopefully it'll be now, not wait until the very end, they're going to address what they have. Obviously, having Urias back is going to be huge. We know Dustin May is a few weeks away, hopefully, right? But um, some young players, Michael Groves of the world, Bobby Miller, even Gavin Stone, when he, he's not here right now, but all these players know that there's a history with this organization that when there's a timeline and you might think about projections with a, with a young pitcher going, this guy can help us in mid-August or early August. Baseball tells you, man, the clock, baseball doesn't know about the clock or your projections. It's like, no, now, who would have thought that today Bobby Miller would be 2-0, right? Yeah. He'd only pitched four, 14 or the third innings in the minors. He had a bum shoulder to begin with. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, it's the Dodger way of doing things to say, this guy is ready. We're going to groom him, and he's going to have a great surrounding team around him. Go out there and learn. So uh, the Dodgers will be just fine because they're going to find a way, once again, to line up the bullpen the right way. But everything starts with starting pitching. Thank you so much, Jose. I, I, look, we were history is very important to us. We we really appreciate that you brought the you shared with us the stories about your father. The fact that he's up there now, and everybody when they go to Dodger Stadium, they're going to see that plaque in the name of Manny Moda. Now the legacy lives on forever, and now we're going to have these oral histories where people can understand that. This to me is still insane that he was a lifetime 304 hitter and a good chunk of his career was pinch hitting. And anybody that has played baseball, hey, hey, oh. come off the bench. You've been sitting on the oh. on the bench all day and come out and hit. The fact that he was a lifetime 304 hitter is insane. So I think these oral histories are very important to to make sure that these players and these people get their credit. So thank you and congratulations. You you've thank been you. doing Everybody loves hearing you on the broadcast, and it, the Angels' loss is our gain, and everybody <laughs> is so happy that, that, that you're home. And, uh, I, again, I, mean, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I, I, I couldn't be happier. By the way, when they come to the stadium, make sure they check out the display uh, over by the Dodger office of my dad's uh, some artifacts there. and uh, There's a jacket, that, there's a sweater that Willie Mays gave him. It means a lot to him. 
And some people are like, what is that sweater that well, Willie Mays had to deal with him? Where Willie, as one of his mentors for the Giants, would get him uh, these fancy sweaters whenever they went to different cities. So I had one of them. My dad gave me like in 1984 when I was in college. And I brought it out because Willie Mays means a lot to him. And I'm like, Willie, it's got to be part of that display too. So thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Uh, go Doyers. And obviously uh, happy to be on the Spanish side with Pepe and Fernando. Uh, always think about, you know, my great padrino and Jaime Harrin, and also on the English side, uh, whenever they need me, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you very much. And where can they follow you on the socials, Jose? It's at Jose Mota 05, both Instagram and Twitter. And I love to talk to the fans. So send me questions. Uh, in fact, if you have any ideas or tips that you might want to know about that I can incorporate into the broadcast, send them out. I do a pregame show for 25 minutes before every, uh, radio broadcast in Espanol on uh, on 1020 AM. And I incorporate things that perhaps uh, you might want to l learn about history-wise, tips, players' perspective, and things that uh, really um, made, made it, make it more fun for me. There you have it. There you have it. Send him the questions. Manden las preguntas. Jose lo contesta todo. There you have oh. Jose Mota. Thank you very much, Jose. Bendiciones. And once again, a big thank you to Jose Mota, one of the broadcasters for the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, doing more of the Spanish side of things. Um, but you do occasionally hear him on, on the English side. Um, I, there seems to be a lot of Manny Mota talk we've been doing. We had the last episode with Jorge Castillo, and now we get to talk with Jose. It's important. I mean, as I said, we have a shirt on the Bleed Los website, our... Uh, Latino Dodger legends or the Latino legends of Dodger baseball. Uh, and he's on one of them. And I just, I just feel like Manny Mona sometimes doesn't get as much credit as the other guys do. Uh, you know, it's always seems Valenzuela, Valenzuela, but Manny Mota was here before my Valenzuela. And to hear these stories lately that we've been hearing, like Dave Stewart, for those of you who listened to our episode with Dave Stewart, he spoke glowingly about Manny Moda. And, and those are the kind of stories I just hear over and over again. And, and it's because of what those guys did that I feel like the major leaguers today now don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Like, to me, I think it's crazy that Manny Moda was taking players to a dealership to help them buy cars. Like, do you think that that would happen today, Babyface? Probably not, right? I mean, I mean, it just shows you kind of obviously the person that Manny Manny Moda is, right? With with that and the the stuff where he's taking players to his home, like you know, especially the guys that you know. They're here. They get called up. They don't know. They don't know the city. They don't know the language. They don't know. They just got. They're in a new spot, right? Out here, you're in LA, and like you know, hey, hey, you know what? Here, I'll take care of you. I'm gonna take you to the spot, get a car, probably help them find a place, or they stayed with him right until they found a place, right? Yeah. And, you know, just everything. I mean, he was, you know, what that nickname Papa, right? And yeah, we, we know what Papa means, right? He's the father figure, right? And, and that's what. Manny Mota is, and, and like you said, I mean, maybe we don't hear of him as much because, like you said, he wasn't, I don't think he was, like, a superstar, right? He wasn't that right. type of player, right? But he he was essential to the Dodgers in that era, the type of the player he was. You know, you always have those guys that are on the team that that, that make that team, right, that help out that team in, in the small ways, right? You need those guys, right? Yeah. I think Manny Mota was one of those guys on the field, but beyond that, his character is, you know, enormous. I think it's one of the, it's exactly right. He, he wasn't a, uh, an, an all-star. He wasn't a superstar, right? But it's the accumulation of his career. It's what he did as a player for the Dodgers. But I think it's almost just as important what he did as a coach for the Dodgers after the fact. I mean, when they did that tribute for him in the Legends of ba Dodger Baseball, and Pedro Martinez, you know, spoke glowingly about him. Albert Pujols, like a lot of those, especially the Dominican players, you know, they look up to him. And... I, I say this by in today's standards because of how much what the new league minimum is, 
maybe the young players, the rookies coming into this don't need that type of help anymore, right? Now, I, I remember when Miguel, Miguel Vargas came up at the beginning of the season and he was making comments like that he was practicing with Miguel Rojas. He was spending a lot of time. There were reports that not only was he spending a lot of time with Miguel Rojas, but with J.D. Martinez. So you would hope that there is that kind of mentorship going on with those veterans to those young guys. Like you wonder who's helping James Altman right now going through the tough stretch that he's going through when Gavin Stone was up and he's had those rough starts. Who would have, who on the Dodgers was approaching to him? I mean, it's one thing hearing it from Dave Roberts, right? Dave Roberts telling, hey, man, keep your head up. You're doing good. You're going to come back right up. But I think it kind of means more, right, when it comes from a fellow player, right, Babyface? I mean, do you do you think that's going on right now in the Dodgers clubhouse? Yeah, especially especially with the guys that have been through that already, right? Like, you know, James Altman, you know, he's up. You know, he comes up and he's doing great, and then he hits that – that streak right where he just feels like oh man i can't i can't do anything to get on base or, or do whatever right. right and then you know but you know the guys that have been all those guys have been through it right i mean i'm sure freddie freeman or will smith goes up to him just you know keep doing what you're doing right like you know we've discussed before and freddie freeman was going through that little funk that he had and he's like i don't get it like i'm doing the exact yeah. same thing i do every day but for whatever reason at that time nothing was was falling for him and now i mean i think since then he's like what like hitting 400 now like i mean yeah every, it's, every, it's every, everything's going right for him right now so it's like you know and and these players get it right they understand that that you know there's going to be their highs and their lows but hopefully there's more highs you know than those lows you know one of the things and jorge castillo brought this up when we had him on the show and there's a lot of history with the Dodgers, right? Because they go way back. They go back to the Brooklyn days, right? And you have Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And so you had a lot of people in this organization that still had ties to that. You had Vin Scully. You had Tommy Lasorda, right? And so you had those people that you could talk to and they could tell you those stories. They could give you oral histories. And I do believe that oral histories are very important because it keeps that stuff alive. Once you stop talking about it, people will tend to forget. And when you sit there and, and you talk about Manny Moda, it's, that's the kind of stuff that you don't see, but it pays off on the field. I, I think he has, he contributes greatly to the success that the Dodgers had, especially the, when the Martinez brothers were here, when Ramon and Pedro were here, right? Who in that dugout, who in that clubhouse could reach out to them and, and talk to those guys? Jose mentioned it when Pedro Guerrero and Mariano Duncan were here, right? Who are those guys? And we just saw it on our last episode when we talked to uh, Victor Gonzalez, Ching Gonzalez, right? When we talked to him, he said he looked up to Julio Urias. Now, Julio Urias, it's crazy. He's a veteran, right? He's viewed as a veteran. Julio Urias is 26 years old, right? But I think all major leaguers need someone, whether it be a player or a coach in the organization, that is a mentor. I, I, I think those mentor relationships are important and, and they lead to, to success. And I don't think everyone can be a mentor. So I think those that do or can be mentors and choose to be mentors should be celebrated. Right, babyface? Yeah, and Victor is, is 27, right? So he's actually yeah. older than, than Julio, right? And he's looking, but he's looking to him, right? Because he's got so much experience. And like he mentioned, like, they're just something that Julio's wired differently, right? Maybe yeah. his, upbring his upbringing, you know, the way his dad brought him up. You know, he has that, like, that old soul, he said, right? But, I mean, I bet you, I mean, you talk to any player, and they're going to tell you that there's guys, whether it's this clubhouse or they were on another team or in the minor leagues, there's guys that they're, 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 they look up to. And when things aren't going right or whatever, those are the guys they go to and they talk to and they kind of work things out. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, baseball is, is, you know, it's like, it's that fraternity, right? Like all these guys look out for each other. I mean, there's, you know, all these guys are looking out for their best interests. There's, there's not going to be a guy in there that's 
I don't, I don't care what that guy does. Like these guys all look out for each other and they want to see, um, they want to see you succeed. I'm, I think it was the other night. I know it's the Astros, but um, what's uh, their first baseman? Um, did you see Abreu? that? Abreu, Abreu, right? Yeah, uh, he hadn't hit a home run all season, right? And this was Jose Abreu, right? This guy hit, yeah, he's hit like forty home runs a year. He barely hit a home run like about a week ago in Oakland, and like he was so happy, he sprinted around, sprinted around, came, and then he slid like into the dugout, and his entire team was like going crazy, like just so happy for him, right? Because that's that that fellowship that these guys have, right? They don't. They know when a guy's down, obviously, right? Everybody knows when a guy's down. Your teammates know that, and they just want to see you succeed, you know, so much, right? Like it's, it's like they feel like they're happier when they see their their teammates succeed. I think than when they succeed, right? Well, you know, when um, when we were after Gavin Stone's last start, uh, Freddie Freeman said that. Like Freddie Freeman was just like he kind of like he shook it off for Federico when they asked him about like, what do you think Gavin Stone's going through? And Federico's just like. It's three or four games, man. Hmm. We all go through stretches. He's going to be fine. And I really hope that Gavin Stone hears that, you know, because here is, like you had mentioned, this guy is on a tear. In many cases, people are already talking MVP for Federico. He's making a very strong case for MVP this season. And, you know, we've always debated in terms of who is the leader, on, on this team, whose team is it, right? It's always, it's between Mookie and, and Federico. But I, I hope Gavin Stone hears that message that it's just like, hey, man, we all struggle. It, it's, a, it's a rough game. It's a rough stretch. But like, like Jose Mota was saying, it's like you put your head down and, and you're going to get through it. You just got to continue. Just, you can't quit, right? You just got to keep going forward. Uh, I want to segue real quick. How crazy is that to hear his stories of him growing up at Dodger Stadium? I mean, I hear that. And as a kid, I would have loved to have been able to go to Dodger Stadium. And I say this because, and you see these pictures all over social media. Like Federico's kid is like a celebrity. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has his own Instagram already with like a million followers. But you see him, he's throwing the baseball around with major leaguers. I mean, that's, it's got to be crazy to be able to see that. Now, does this mean that, you know, Federico's kid's going to end up being a major leaguer? Who knows, right? But just having that experience, that's something that not everyone gets to experience, right, Babyface? Yeah. I mean, did you see at a uh, fan fest that he was signing autographs? I did, like, yeah, I saw that. People were like, "Hey, let me get your autograph." And I mean, you never know. I mean, I would think, you know, if it seems like he loves the game of baseball, and it looks like you know it's something yeah. he's going to pursue. And you know, in in what fifteen years, we might be seeing Charlie Freeman out there and Charlie Kershaw, right? Because those, yeah. those those two kids are out there all the time playing playing baseball, and you never know. Like all these guys, right? I mean, you go back even when Cody Bellinger was here, he used to go to the the park with his dad, right? And then yeah. he ended up becoming a major leaguer. I mean, just I mean, so many guys that I mean, you look around the league. You know, there's a lot of juniors now, right? That that were obviously in that clubhouse yeah. as kids, and now they're getting to the to the to the show. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's definitely a fa- a family business in, in the Mota family. Uh, I I always wonder when you have that famous last name, like, is that like pressure on you is that is that a burden like i always thought valenzuela's kid i mean the the amount of pressure that he must have experienced if he you know when he was playing baseball it's like and if you're not as good as your father well what's wrong with you you know why aren't you as good like is it, it's like it's that easy right it's like why aren't you as good a, a, as your father i mean obviously there's there's instances that i mean you you just can't you just can't be that good, right? Like, I mean, take yeah. Michael Jordan's kids, right? Michael yeah. Jordan's kids never, <laughs> never did anything, right? Like, as yeah. far as compared to his dad, right? Like, I mean, he even said it in his Hall of Fame speech. I'd hate to be my kids. Yeah, it's I like mean, way to go, Dad of the Year. I mean, there's gonna be those players, right? That that, like, you're talking about some like Clayton Kershaw, right? They're going to the Hall of Fame. Like, if his kids make it to the professional level, right? Or, or Freddie Freeman, like, if Freddie Freeman gets the Hall, of, like. Are can you expect their kids to be that good if they make it to to the MLB? Yeah. Right? I mean, you can't. Right? I mean, you just hope they have a 
successful career and, 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 you know, carve out a career of their own. Yeah. And again, look, it's not that this show dwells on, on nostalgia. I know that we, we talk a lot about the golden era and wrestling on this show. And we seem to talk about a lot of old things, but I think, and, and I think Jorge Castillo said this too, baseball lends itself to that history. Uh, history is important to to baseball, and I think it's more important than in than in any other store, sport. I think those other big sports have a history, but I don't know if it's as much as a part of the game as history is as part of Major League Baseball. And when you sit there and you look at the Dodgers and and you look at the names that have lived on. And they continue. I mean, you have Jackie Robinson, you have Sandy Koufax, you know, you have those other names, Tommy Lasorda, Fernando Valenzuela. I know it's easy to sit here and just focus on the guys that are playing today, but there were guys who came before that made things a, a lot easier. And in terms of turning it back to Manny Moda, it wasn't just the Latin players. If you watch that tribute video that they played of Manny Moda before they inducted him into the legends of Dodger baseball, you had Mike Sosha on there talking about him. You had Steve Garvey. You had Kirk Gibson. So you had people who played with him, but then you also had people who were probably just coached by him. This, this is a dude who made an impact on everybody who came across his life. Yeah. And going back to like we were saying about history, like in baseball, I think, I think cause it's, it's, it's a lot rare things that happen in baseball, like are a lot rare. Like, you know, you'll hear like, Oh, this is the first guy that hit um, three home runs. And, and, you know, he walked twice or whatever, whatever the stat is, right. It'd be like, no. it hasn't happened since like 1948. Like it's, it's a lot rare when these, these things happen. Like, so there's in the, there's that long history, right? I mean, baseball goes back over a hundred years, right? I mean, football doesn't do that. Basketball yeah. doesn't do that. I mean, at least professionally, right? I mean, right. You, you can't say like, oh yeah, they're back in 1901, you know, that something happened, right? So, I think that's what makes it more special that baseball has that long, rich history, you know, of this game, you know, being played. Yeah, and so we just hope that you know when we have. Uh, you know, guests on the show and we're talking about older players. It's really to try to just keep people, keep them in their memories and, and not necessarily just Dodger players. I mean, I, I, we probably could have spent a lot more time talking about Roberto Clemente and the impact that not only Clemente had on the Pittsburgh Pirates, but what Clemente had on all of major league baseball. I mean, to the point where, there is a, a lot of people are trying to advocate to have Clemente's number 21 retired across all of Major League Baseball. I don't have a problem with it, you know, if, they, if that's what they want to do, because I think that dude was special. I mean, I think it's so crazy. I never saw him play. But if, if you see the highlight videos, I mean, he was a guy who literally died and he had 3,000 hits exactly 3000 hits if he wouldn't have died what are the things that he have he could have accomplished like when you see guys like vladimir guerrero and people go oh that guy they love comparing comparing players right so when you see vladimir guerrero is like oh dude that guy reminds me of what clemente or remember rama mondesi mondesi was like a five tool player and people would say man the stuff that mondesi does i haven't seen anybody do that since clemente so I, that's why I think it's 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 important to talk about the people that came before the guys that we're watching now, and I don't think it takes anything away from the players playing today, right, Babyface? And the crazy thing about Clemente is like, and I think people don't realize it is that he was a Dodger, right? He was in their organization, yeah. and they lost him the Rule Five draft, right? Yeah, like Branch Rickey, right? Who was yeah from the Dodgers? He had moved on. He was with the Pirates, and he like, give me that guy. And he took he took Clement and the rest is history, right? I mean, what? Imagine if he would have been a Dodger, it, and that's what right. I'm saying. It's like the Dodgers have such a rich history; they seem to be involved in all important parts of of the history of Major League Baseball. It seems whether it's good or bad, but yeah, I would. I mean, how great would it have been to have Clemente play his entire career as a Dodger? 
You know, I mean, Manny Mota's favorite player was Jackie Robinson. I, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I, I think it's important to to keep the memory alive of those of those players who were great in their time. It, it really was. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, once again, we want to remind everyone, uh, if you're just coming across us, subscribe to the podcast. Not only subscribe to the podcast, but subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. Tell your friends. If you like what you're hearing, if you think, hey, I know somebody who would probably enjoy this show, tell them about it. Tag us. Tag us on the stuff that you think maybe, hey, this is an interesting topic. I would love for you guys to talk about this. Reach out to us. Let us know what you guys want to talk about. Uh, Babyface, any last words before we end the show? Um, I was trying to think of an inf- something interesting in wrestling that we could have uh, met our quota for the week, but I think I think we're okay, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I really don't have. I know that you watched the on Vice, the mm-hmm. Tammy and Chris Candido. Uh, I, I think we have to give people a little bit more time to give them a, ta- uh, a chance to watch it before you give your review. Yeah. But yeah. I will let, let me just ask you this: Should they watch it? Is it a must see? Do you think? I mean, I think if you're a wrestling, obviously a wrestling fan and, and of that era, right? And when when Sonny was in the WWF, I think yeah, definitely. But I mean, that is, you know, you want to check out some stuff, some documentaries. A and E, A and E is doing some stuff, right? Um, yeah. And then Peacock has some stuff, and then and then the stuff on Vice, they have some some interesting stuff, um, wrestling documentaries. I, I think the, the the documentaries that Vice though are very different though than the, the ones yeah. that A and E does. Yeah, yeah. Vice goes pretty deep into yeah. some stuff. Yeah. And and then it always because wasn't that series originally called like the dark side of the ring? Yes, yeah, like dark side of the matter, something like that. That's what it's called, right? Yeah, I know. I got some comments when I was talking about the Jake the Snake uh, documentaries on our last live when they're like, "Juan, you kept saying they were dark. Are they dark?" I was like, "Bro, if you don't know anything about Jake the Snake, I, you one thing you will take away from Jake the Snake is that dude was dark." And that there was, I don't think there was much acting when you saw Jake the Snake doing his promos. I think Jake the Snake was definitely using what was inside and it was just coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, Jake, definitely one of the, uh, the better, uh, heel characters of that era. Absolutely. And I, I think he was a stronger heel than he was when he was a, a baby face. Yeah. 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 Some guys are just, they're better. I, I think it's better to be the heel, right? And I think it's 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 a lot more fun. Yeah, I, I mean, oh, let me ask you this. Let, let, let's put it out for debate there for you guys, because I know there was a lot of people. Uh, I think Ric Flair once said that that in order to be a good wrestler, you had to be able to do both. That you had to be a baby face, and that you would be able to do a heel. I know we had talked about the Mount Rushmore when the pukester was talking about his Mount Rushmore of of wrestlers. All the wrestlers that we think are elite, I think were wrestlers that did both babyface and heel. Can you think of anyone that was just one thing? I can think of one right now on the top of my head that I would consider a great wrestler. And I'm curious to see if you come up with the same name. That was just one? Like that he was entire? just either a heel his whole career or he was a baby face his whole career. I mean, the only one off the top of my head, I'm thinking Steamboat was probably always just a, a baby face, right? You know what? I, that's not the name I was thinking, but you're right. Steamboat worked primarily as a babyface. I don't ever yeah. remember him as a heel. At least, at least in the big promotions, right? Maybe in yeah. Independence, maybe he might have been a heel, like getting started. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't not in the big promotions. And I do think he's great, but I don't know if I put Steamboat on on the Mount Rushmore. The we name that I'm gonna the the name I want to give you is Sting. Oh yeah. Well, when he first started out, he was a heel. He was so he was a heel when he first started. Out? I mean, like wait, like, in, like in the in the independent, there was a there was this is like going back old school. There was like before I'm, NWA. Yes, well, it was during that time. But I remember on Saturday mornings, 
back in maybe like 85, uh, there was uh, um, a promotion called UWF. And he okay. was in that and he was a heel. But then he changed. Uh, but when he first started, he, he first started off in uh, in WCW too. I don't know if you remember, uh, not WCW, w, WCCW, a Texas promotion. And I think he was a heel there too. All right, so, then I stand corrected. Then, but there yeah. was nothing big. But yeah, but like once he got to WW, I mean WCW, he was he was always a big. Yeah, player. I mean that's when I first knew about Sting yeah. was in the WCW days, and I don't I don't count when he was in the Wolfpack as him being a yeah, heel. Yeah, yeah. Like for me, he always worked as a babyface. No. Him, him, and the Ultimate War used to be a tag team. Yeah, I, I do. I do remember that's, that. That's I think when they were a, they were a heel group. I think they were, were a like, heel tag team. Uh, their names were like Blake and Rock or something like that. There you go. You learn something new every day. This is why you guys have to listen to the Bleed Lows podcast. Not only do you want your Dodgers news, but we're going to give you wrestling tidbits here. Those of you listeners, if you know anybody, if you guys can answer this question, hit us up on the social medias. We want to know. Is there anybody who was a truly great wrestler that only worked their entire career as either a babyface or a heel and never went back and forth? Because to me, all the great ones at one point or another worked either as a heel or a babyface. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Bleed Lows podcast. You have seen su servidor Juan Ramirez de parte de mi colega babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode of the Bleed Lows podcast has been brought to you by betonline.ag, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 